Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I'm your host, Timothy Regal. I have with me today, John S. Rennie. John is an, well, suffice to say, he's an expert on leadership. He is the co-founder, president, and CEO of Pink Demand Incorporated, a premier manufacturer of critical components for electrical utilities. He's a former U.S. Navy nuclear submarine officer who made seven deployments during the end of the Cold War. And he has led eight manufacturing businesses for three global companies and is the author of the best-selling books, I Have the Watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following, and All in the Same Boat, Lead Your Organization Like a Nuclear Submariner. John, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you. Hey, Timothy. Great to be here. How are you today? I'm doing great. Um, I've always appreciated uh, following you on Twitter, and I've read both of your books. They're excellent, excellent resources. Um, great experience that you've had throughout your um, military career and, and private business career. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So you're, you're one of the few that have written, uh, that have read both books. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that as an author. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so we talk about a lot about leadership. You hear a lot about leadership these days. You, you, you know, every major organization seems to have these leadership seminars and they have all of this, but yet we all still experience bad leadership. I think yeah. we've seen it, whether it's at work is the most obvious, but also school, church, even in our families. So we all, we all know what bad leadership is like, but why are there so many bad leaders? Yeah, I think the biggest reason is people are placed in leadership um, positions because they, maybe they excel as an individual contributor and then their companies think that, well, they're a great engineer. They'll be the perfect engineering manager. So they mm. have really good individual skills, uh, but then they get placed in a management skill or a management role and the skills needed for leadership and management are different than those needed for, you know, being an individual contributor. And it happens, it happens a lot, at least in, you know, I spent 22 years in corporate America and I saw mm -hmm. that a lot where people were promoted based on their individual skills, but they were never, you know, never showed any uh, tendency towards leadership. And yet um, that now they were the leader. Now they were the manager. Mm. So I think, you know, leadership is a whole different set of skills and we don't appreciate it that way. We don't, we don't think about it that way. So for example, you go study in it, you know, an MBA, right? So if you want to be a leader in business, one way to get, get the skills for it is to go get an MBA. Well, if you look at the curriculum of a typical MBA student, it's, it's marketing, it's accounting, it's legal, uh, mm -hmm. sales, um, operations, these sort of things, but nowhere in there do they teach leadership? Nowhere in there to teach you how to deal with people. How do you deal with the people issues? But yet that's what your job is as a business leader and, and, and as a nonprofit leader, as a church leader, as a missions leader. It's all about people. And, and so right. we don't really truly appreciate that that is a distinct and specific set of skills needed to be a great leader. So I think part of it is that we don't see leadership skills as something special. We see it as something that, well, you'll figure that out. You're a great engineer. You'll figure out how to be the engineering manager, right? And right. I think that's, that's uh, to me, one of the biggest problems we have. Hmm. Yeah, I think you see that in some other areas too. Like one example I think of is, you know, often the best athletes are the worst yeah. coaches. You know, that's it. Like, yeah, like you know, Mike, Michael Jordan's is the greatest basketball athlete ever, but he'd probably be the worst coach. 
you know. Yeah, isn't that and, interesting? You'd think yeah. that it would directly translate, right? A great yeah. player would be a great coach, but it doesn't, there's this yeah. different set of skills. And I think that's something that we don't appreciate enough uh, in business. The other thing is we, we don't appreciate the fact that not everybody is created to be a leader, right? Not mm -hmm. everybody um, has that, that ability. So, you know, there, you know, there's been some studies that, that, that fewer than 10% are, are naturally gifted leaders. Now, hmm. another 10 to 20% can be trained as leaders, but it's, it takes us, they're very different set of skills to be a leader versus being a, uh, an engineer, a mm -hmm. uh, salesman, a, um, you know, you name the job, it's just a different set of skills. And so I think that some people lean towards that and, and enjoy that. And, and others are, they have to learn it and they have to mm -hmm. be shown the way. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's something that's very unique and special. And I don't think that we show enough appreciation for that specific skill set. Sure. So I don't think we really have to describe too much what a bad leader is like. Um, I think we're all aware <laughs> of that, but, but what does a good leader look like? Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, a good leader can really knows their people, knows knows uh, knows how they operate, what motivates them, what are their hopes and dreams, what are their passions, what what makes them tick, right? And mm. then it figures out a way to plug them into an organization where they they are working hard to achieve their personal skills or their personal goals. And yet it's contributing to the overall mission as well. So someone that can 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 find know their people well enough to put them in the right place where they can be the best versions of themselves. And I think if you mm -hmm. can do that, if and, and the leaders that do that are the exceptional leaders, right? So they're there's, you know, it, it's it's sometimes we think of leadership as just the mission, just the goal, but it's not. Right. It's it's the people and the goal. And and the leaders that are thinking that way, which is, it's my people and it's my, it's my goal. If they're thinking that way, then they're likely to be ones that are trying to find, trying to, trying to allow people to get to their hopes and dreams and, and, hmm. and their passions. You know, what are you really passionate about? Well, I have a role just like that. I need you to fill and you put that person in that role. Hmm. So I think finding that, finding people that can do that, those are the best leaders. And, and what is the key to that? Is, is it good communication between the leaders and the, and the, I don't know, followers? Is that the right? I guess leaders and employees, I guess is the easiest yeah, term yeah. to use, but is that just effective communication? How, how is that? How do you develop that? You know, it comes right down to just caring, right? You have to care mm -hmm. about the people that work for you. And that's something that, you know, it comes natural as a, as a parent, right? You care about your children, you care about your daughters and your sons, and and you care deeply for them. You have a when they come out of the womb, you have a natural love for them. And it's like, no matter what they do, I'm going to love them. Right. And we have this, it's, it's, it's innate with us. Right. But when it comes to um, employees that we don't have that love, right. Like, oh, mm -hmm. you know, Jim is a pain in the neck, right. Yeah. <laughs> He's always coming to me with problems. Right. So we don't, but I think part of it is you have to appreciate this is that people are messy, right. Mm. People are filled with problems. They have anxieties, they have hangups, they have, um, they have a past that they're dealing with. They have difficulties that they're trying to overcome in their lives. And, and I think great leaders recognize that people are messy and they come with all sorts of quirks and hangups and, and what have you. But they also recognize on the other side of that coin is people are amazing. Like if you truly get them interested in attacking mm -hmm. their hopes and dreams, 
they're, they are unstoppable. And I think, I think that we need to do a better job of recognizing that, 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 that both sides of the coin, right? So we mm-hmm. can't just uh, throw somebody away that, that, you know, from the organization because uh, they're too much of a pain in the neck. It turns out if you can figure out how to get that employee engaged and excited, then they become a really good contributor to the team. So mm-hmm. I think it's that, it's that recognition and that love for people and that love and that rec- recognition that, yeah, they're messy, but they're also amazing. And so having that mindset, you've got to really like people. You got to love people. If you want to be in leadership, it, it is a, mm-hmm. I say leadership is a people business. It's all about people. It's all about relationships. And it's just yeah. like in your family, you've got to manage those relationships with your people. You can't just send out a memo and expect people to go, Oh, John wants me to go over here. I'm going to go over here. It's, it's not that it's about getting, getting behind the orders, you getting to the why. Here's why mm-hmm. we're going to do what we're going to do. So it's it's about caring, and I think if you care, I think that that transcends just about anything else. Hmm. Yeah, I think you see it a lot in businesses where there is that. You talk about just sending out the memo, or we have this, <laughs> you know, morning pep talk before the shift starts, and the, right, the boss is right. out there kind of, and he's all ooh rah rah, you know, go company go, and <laughs> the employees are just like. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. I'm here till five o'clock. I mean, my paycheck and I'm getting the hell out. Like, right. Right. And so fostering that we're, we're all in the same boat, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. so that, that's a great segue. So how do you talk about that? Where, 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 where the employees and, and the people underneath the leader feel like they're a part of something and, yeah. and, yeah. and that we're all have a role to play instead of, you know, I'm just here for, I'm just showing up so I can get a paycheck and leave. Yeah. You know, I saw that my first, you know, in my career, I've led eight different, well, this is my ninth manufacturing plant I've led in my career. So I've run, I've run a lot of manufacturing plants and my first plant. um, One of the things I noticed is that, you know, as I walked the shop floor and asked people what they did, they would tell me what they were doing on that specific job. They're like, well, I, I, uh, I plate parts. I, I, uh, I make sub assemblies. What do you do here? I, I attach this spring to this, you know, this bolt, right? They would get very specific with me. But then I would say, well, what does that do? And they would say, I'm not really sure. Like they didn't know the big picture. They didn't know what hmm. they're, what, what they were doing and how that contributed to the big picture, right? So in other words, it wasn't what I call worthwhile work, right? It was just, I make widgets. Yeah. And one of the things that we, and I learned that through spending time on the shop floor talking with employees is they felt like, you know, they weren't doing anything important. They were just connecting a spring or what have you. And one of the things that we, we, when we learned that, one of the things I started doing is teaching them what we did as a manufacturing plant. So in this case, we were making circuit breakers that powered uh, high voltage type apparatus. So anything from 15,000 volts up to 38,000 volts. So this is, we're talking about, um, you know, hospitals and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, um, you know, uh, refineries and, and large industrial man- manufacturing, steel mills and all this stuff. So, you know, and what I, we boil it down to this is that the work that you do helps keep the lights on. So mm-hmm. we've sold these to utilities and these utilities use them in the circuits that kept the lights on. What you do helps keep the lights on. You keep those elevators running in a hospital. You keep, you know, the lights on in that operating room. And we translated it down to something that said, you, what you do matters. What you do is important for not just our company, but for society as a whole. And it was interesting how people took that in 
And mm -hmm. I and I hear I heard them talking with their families about it, talking with the children, and they they say, "What you know, Dad? What do you do?" Well, I help keep the lights on. Well, that's better than I connect a spring to this bolt, right? So I think part of our job as 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 managers, as leaders, is to connect people with what's the worthwhile work that they're doing. So what what why is it what what they're doing matters, and how can how can you explain it to them where they see that, yeah, what I do really does matter. I'm not mm -hmm. just a cog in the wheel. And I think that's part of what we have to do to, to get people where they're not just, you know, clocking in and, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just a job. It's not just a paycheck. I'm, I'm making a difference. The, the, the work that I do is making a difference. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that we have to do as leaders, connect people to what the true role that they're doing and how that's really changing and helping mm -hmm society or the company, what have you. Yeah. Is that something that you think you learned from your experience in the Navy? I know in, in, in all in the same boat, you, you talk about how on a submarine, the lowest level yeah. seaman first class can, could do something that could bring the whole, the whole boat down. Yeah. Um, is, is, does that kind of come from that experience? Yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly where it came from. So, yeah. you know, we, when we were out at sea uh, on a submarine deployed, um, we were out, we operated alone. So we were mm -hmm. hundreds of miles from any support vessels. We would be hundreds of feet below the surface and we were in it. We were all in it together. Like, so <clears throat> on a submarine, there's shared, um, responsibility, but there's also shared vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. So as you said, the lowest ranking person on that boat can turn the wrong valve and we will all perish. We'll all go down to the bottom of the ocean. And if the captain screws up and puts us in a wrong position, mm -hmm. uh, in, maybe in a shipping lane or what have you, or makes a makes the wrong call, we could also perish. So it didn't matter if you were the most senior or the most junior person, you could contribute to uh, our demise, right? I mean, literally, we all perish. I mean, in a submarine, right. when it goes down, not everyone's lost. It's not yeah. like there's parachutes or like a plane starts going Life down. Well, some people anything, might be yeah. able to get out. There's, yeah. there's no getting out. You, you're all, you know, you're all at the bottom of the ocean. So I think that really established my foundation with the idea that we're all important, no matter, we all just have a different job to do. The leader is important. Yes. But so is the person, you know, connecting that spring to the boat, right? That has mm -hmm. to be done right if that business is going to be effective. In fact, I would argue this, the people that are adding value to your products or to your customers are actually much more important than your management team. They're the ones actually touching the product before it gets to a customer or they're answering the phone with a customer on the other end. These are your most important employees. The manager is not important. The general manager, the vice president, the guy with a fancy title in the corner office, He's right. not as important as the person actually operating the equipment, making the product for your customers. So that's a, yeah. it's a different mindset. You know, a lot of times people get into leadership and they think, oh, you know, look at me, I'm the vice president. I got the fancy sure. office. Everybody bow yeah. down to me. Right. But really it's, it's you're, you, you are, if you could leave for a month and you wouldn't affect the business more than if your employees left for a month that were actually making the product, right. You are, you are definitely not as important as some of them. So mm -hmm. I think that mindset of everyone's important, we just have different roles to play, definitely came from my time in the Navy. Sure. And you you talk about that a lot. I've seen you post different different tweets and things about that of spending time with the lower level employees, you know, whether it's on the the, the floor of the, of the shop or, or on the wherever, whatever type of business it may be, 
that they see you there. They're not, you're not just hiding in your corner office. Yeah. Um, and, and, and why is that so important that they, that they see you? And, and, and not only that, you talk about having some idea of what they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, why, why is that so important? Well, you know, as a leader, there's power in your presence. That's one thing I've learned over the years is that things change when you show up, right? Mm. Um, it's an interesting dynamic. I tell the story, I do some uh, teaching at uh, universities, and I tell the story of one time I took over a plant, and I just brand new to the plant, and I was walking the shop floor, and uh, I came to this intersection where where it was, a, you know, a, a, there were two, two aisles crossing, and there was a forklift coming towards me. I stopped, but then I looked up to see if there was a safety mirror because there's supposed to be a safety mirror at all blind cornings. I noticed there wasn't. So I made a mental note out of it. And by the way, my, my leadership team at this new factory was following me around as I walked around for the first time. And um, I didn't say a word. I just looked up and, and made a note of it. And the next day I went out in the plant and I looked in that, I was at that same intersection and there yeah. was a mirror installed. <laughs> And I didn't say a word. And, you know, yeah. it, and that's exactly what, what our, our, we are as leaders. So we, no matter, <laughs> people that don't care about what you say, they, they watch you and they're, they're, they're looking at you all the time. So you, there's power in your presence. So you have to be present. You have to be there. Uh, you have to show your face, even if you don't have a plan, right? So a lot of people are afraid to, to leave their office and talk to people because they're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say they ask yeah. me a tough question or I don't, I don't, I'm not really an expert on these processes. It doesn't matter. It's more important that you just get out there and just, and, and, you know, sometimes there's stupid questions. Like, what do you do here? Like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm John, uh, you know, oh, Hey, I'm Tom, Tom, what, what is this? Cause I've seen you do this. I've walked by you a ton of times. I've never even asked you, what is it that you do in this role? And it's okay to ask those questions and just let hmm. them talk. And again, it's more about letting employees talk let them tell you what they're doing don't, don't don't talk about yourself talk about them and 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 get to know them i think that's and then they see you know they get a sense that their boss cares one right. he's he or she is coming out to where they are right you're going to where your people are um and then and you're you're actively engaged and you're listening and you're interested in what they do it seems like a simple thing like a, some, a lot of stuff i write about it seems like really common sense and and I kind of feel bad when I write them, like this seems so obvious, but people aren't doing it. They're not mm -hmm. doing it. Uh, leaders are stuck in their office with a door shut. They're on conference calls or they're answering emails all day long. And then they go home and people don't see them. They don't know. They have no idea if, if, the, if, if they even know their name. I don't even know if yeah. that guy knows my name, you know, yeah. and they probably don't know their name. That's the sad part. Yeah. And if so, they can't, if they can't see you, they assume you don't care. That's it. That's it. So even if you're the greatest guy in the world or gal, and you care deeply about the people, if they don't see you and they don't sense that, if they don't mm -hmm. see you being actively engaged, they think that you don't care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. An absent manager, I see that a lot. Absent managers are, are almost as worse than a micromanager because they're mm -hmm. um, people just don't see, they feel like that, 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 that the boss doesn't care because they're never mm -hmm. around and they never ask and they never... They don't know what, what I did. I, I, I ran a plant one time. My boss was uh, remote. He was like 600 miles away. Hmm. And I ran that plant for eight years. And uh, he was my boss for five of those years. He came to my plant twice. And it was only because somebody above him was coming to my plant. So he came hmm. there to, 
you know, show up with the top, yeah, hey, yeah. you know, and, and <laughs> like, dude, you've never been here. Like who, yeah. where, what are you doing here? You know? So he, yeah. you know, he was an absent manager. And, and again, I felt like he didn't care. Like, right. you don't, you have no idea what we do here. You don't, you don't know my people. You don't know the challenges we have. You don't know what we've overcome. Mm-hmm. You know, you show up only when a VIP shows up that shows, tells me you don't care. You don't care about what I do, you know? So I think it showed, I think we got to get out there. We have to show that we care by actively engaging with employees. People can see through that faux, I care. Oh, too. yeah. You know, <laughs> like when, you know, if, if you throw, throw them a, a pizza party before Christmas and give them a uh, little bonus, you uh, know, that, that, that's in the rest of the year, you, you say, oh, you, I pay you. That's enough. You know, oh, people see right through that. It's so bad. It's so bad. I, I literally, my, my last, the, the straw that broke my camel's back, that, that broke the camel's back that got me to stop working in corporate. And when I started my mm-hmm. own business was the day I was a senior man at a, at a site where they were having this big, they were rolling out the new strategy for the year. It was January. And we had this big event worldwide. And um, I was a senior man at the site and they said, uh, we're going to send you a gift for every employee. So this was a, this was a company that was mired in bureaucracy Apathy ran wild. Uh, the morale was as low as I've ever seen in my life. We were doing our best on, as local managers to keep things afloat, but I mean, senior management was terrible. They were they were micromanaging us to death. Everybody, there was a lot of apathy, bad morale. But they said to me, "Okay, we're going to send you a gift to give to every employee." And I thought, "Well, that's good. That's something that's." I, I remember hearing that, and I said, "Well, okay, maybe there's hope for this management team." Mm-hmm. And then a, uh, a day before the event, I get a box of the things I'm supposed to give out. So there's like 250 employees on this site. And I get a box of about 300 buttons that says, I love my job. Oh, my <laughs> that's gosh. What, that's what they wanted me to give to employees. I'm the yeah. senior guy on the site. I'm going to give I love my job to a workforce that hates their job. Yeah. I mean, it was the most tone deaf thing I ever, I've ever seen in my career. Yeah. And actually, that was at that point. I, I was like, "All right, I got to get out of here." This, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah there's a uh, there's a common saying that you hear all the time. It's it's supposedly you know business 101 is that the customer is always right. Yeah. You know, but you've actually written that you say employees employers should put their employees ahead of their clients. Yeah. That yeah. seems to go against kind of all conventional wisdom. Um, yeah. So yeah. so why is that, and what it, what is the ultimate benefit of that? Yeah. So your customers, um, you know, your customers are just trying to get a, a, a product or a service at the lowest price. And so they'll steer you down. You know, I've, I've often said that customers will put you out of business if you if you completely follow everything they want you to do. Right. They want to get mm-hmm. they want their products for free and they want all the features and benefits that they, they want. Right. So so I think we got to be careful not to do everything for customers. I do truly believe that we have to be a customer focused company. But, but one of the things that we have to do is take care of our employees. Our, our employees, especially the frontline employees that are, are inter, interacting with customers, mm-hmm. they're absolutely the most important part of our business. And we have to treat them that way. I believe, you know, I think I often say that customer service is dead in this country because there's so many, so few places that you can go to and get good customer service. Well, to me, I think customer service is a reflection on the customer, on the company culture, right? If there's a good company culture, so take, for example, uh, Chick-fil-A, right? Mm-hmm. You go into a Chick-fil-A, you have a good experience. You know, people seem to be upbeat. They, they take care of the orders fast. They, you know, they're very um, professional. They're very um, respectful. Sure. And 
But that's indication of their company culture. Their culture is that way as a company. They respect their employees. They help their employees achieve their hopes and dreams in their lives. Mm. And that's reflected in their customer service. And so, you know, uh, Richard Branson even said, he said, he said, clients don't come first, people come first. He said, if you take care of the people, they'll take care of the clients and the clients will take care of the business and the business when it, when it, when it runs well, will take care of the shareholders. So it starts with custom, uh, with, uh, sorry, with uh, employees mm. and uh, not your customers. You take care of your employees, they take care of the customers and that takes care of the business. And, you know, so I think that's, that's the right way to look at it. So these, these are your, you know, there's, there's few people that are on your team, right? In life. There's a lot of people against you. The people that are on your team are the ones in their four walls. That's, those are your teammates, you know, and we have got to have that mindset. So I see a lot of too many times there's internal fighting in companies where everybody's up, you know, against each other. And that's, that's not the way to succeed, right? So you have to say that we're in it together. Our job is to uh, beat the competition uh, in the marketplace, not to beat each other over the head or, oh, yeah. it's engineering's fault or it's, you know, supply chain's fault or what have you. And, and is, what is it that, why do so many companies get that wrong? You know, where they put the, you know, they don't put the employees first. Is, is it just worrying about the, the, the balance sheet and the yeah, yeah. P&L no, statement? Exactly. Yeah, that- yeah. So that's exactly right. You're, you're, you hit yeah. the nail on the head. So we, you know, one of the things, you know, I, I, I wrote an article about this. I said, you see, it could be your accountant that's causing your morale problems. And the reason is, is that on the profit and loss uh, sheet on the, on the income statement, right? Mm-hmm. We consider employee expenses. So this is pay, benefits, uh, all the things that you you pay for an employee, we consider that an expense on right. the income statement. So you have, you know, you have you have your sales and you have your expense minus your expenses, then you get your profit. So a lot of managers say, well, I got to increase my profit. So the first thing I do is, well, how can I lower my personnel expense? Right. So they think of people because we put it on the income statement that way. As business leaders, we say. I need more profits. What do I need to do? Well, one of my biggest expenses is personnel expense. Well, all I have to do is maybe reduce the benefits or, you know, lower my pay or give a smaller pay increase, right? They're thinking in short-term mind. It's a short-term mindset. You know, I I squeeze the personnel expense. I get more profit. I look good. I get promoted, right? So it's short-term managers. What we don't see is that really, you know, we say this, that employees are our greatest assets. We don't see employees as as assets. If we thought of them as assets, it'd be a completely different situation. An asset is something that brings future value to a company. Well, I would argue that's exactly what employees do. They bring, so instead of looking at it as an expense, think about the value that that one employee can bring to that company Mm. over their, their, you know, their 20 years with the company or five years or 10 years. And that's the mindset that I try to bring to it is that how is this employee adding value to my company? Not how is he costing, he or she right. costing my company? So some of it is just a mindset issue. It's hmm. the, it's, is, is an employee an expense or an asset? It's, it's really something yeah. uh, that I see a lot of. I see, I mean, 90% of the corporate decisions I saw made were to try to squeeze that personnel expense a little lower to get a little bit more profit on the bottom mm-hmm. line. And it, it's yeah. sad to see. Yeah. And, and people know what's happening. They're like, oh, yeah. okay, I see what's going on. Yeah. Well, and the longer someone's there, the more valuable they are. 
you know, that asset yeah. appreciates, they become worth more to your, to your company. And right. when, I think when you, when companies just think of a person as a paycheck going out the door or just an employee number on a spreadsheet, they become so disposable. Yeah. And so yeah. any minor mistake or failure, it's you're out the door. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and not without giving them a chance to learn from their mistakes. Right. Now you, you tell this great story it, it, it's in, in all in the same boat. I think it's in the first or second chapter um, about your, I think it was your first watch that you had on, on, on the USS Tennessee and you had a, had a near miss um, oh, yeah. experience. Yeah. I, so I almost got run over. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, tell that story and, and kind of what, you know, it, it seems like your, your, your higher ups allowed you to fail and learn from it in that moment. Yeah, you know, I think that's one thing they did uh, in the Navy was they allowed us to fail under controlled circumstances. So we would, so we would never do that again, because it was so yeah. emotional. I think failure has a great emotional teacher to us, so that we never forget those lessons. So failure is a really important part of training and uh, new employees. But in my case, I was, uh, I was off to the deck and um, on the mid watch, you know, not much going on. I, we were exiting the shipping lanes. I didn't expect much to happen that watch. And we picked up a contact early on in the, um, in the, in the, the shift during that watch. And it was acting like a, um, you know, like most of the commercial shipping out there it was, you know, it seemed like it was far away going away from me. It was nothing to kind of worry about. And um, uh, we kind of kept an eye on it throughout the watch, but as uh, as the watch continued, eventually, this 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 contact had uh, the way we were the way we monitor these things is through passive sonar, but the, it 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 took off right across the sonar screen, which meant it, the bearing was changing rapidly, which meant it was right overhead, and we basically got uh, we had a very large commercial ship, you know, pass within one thousand yards of our submarine, hmm. and that's not a good thing. We have a lot of towed equipment behind a submarine. And, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's not cool. You're yeah. not supposed to get run over. And as it turned out, this particular merchant ship had what was called a bulbous bow. They were building uh, these ships larger and larger and newer ones had this bulbous bow, which actually masked the engine noises. So this particular commercial ship was coming towards me all night long. And I had no idea because it was was being masked. And then I didn't know until last minute, I realized that it was right on top of us. But, you know, it was one of those things I went to the captain, I'm like, I just got run over. And I told him the whole story. And the only thing he said to me at the end of that, he said, bow no. And he walked away. And I was like, bow no, what is he talking about? And, uh, and I went and talked to some of the other senior officers and they're like, yeah, that bow no. And they talked about this bulbous bow and how it yeah. you know, hides this machinery noise. But but the captain wasn't that concerned. Like he, yes, I let a, a ship get too close. Yes, I violated his orders. Yes, it could have been dangerous, but it did, it did, it, you know, no one got hurt. And I learned a really valuable mm. lesson and, and it made me a better officer because of it. So I think the Navy was very forgiving of those kind of things. They're like, okay, he, that's something that he probably wasn't trained on. It's something that's very unusual. Mm -hmm. Um, and now he'll never forget it. And I never did after I never got yeah. run over ever again, but it was very early on in my Navy career where I got run over. So yeah. I think we've got to give people a chance to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. It can't be like one mistake and you're gone. Mindset. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that people you probably gained confidence from that then, even though you oh, yeah. you made a mistake. Yeah. It's like okay, he, he he still trusts me. He still believes in me, you know, yeah. and is, is willing to give me another chance. You know, yeah, I, I I haven't thought about this in years, but I just remembered this um, scenario I had. Um, I, I've worked at funeral homes. I'm a funeral director, and I've worked at funeral homes since I was 16 years old. And I remember the first funeral home I worked at. I was a teenager, and you know, hearses are not easy vehicles to drive They're <laughs> They have a lot of blind spots. And so uh, I remember having to back the hearse into the garage and it was real tight. I mean, there was only a couple other couple inches on there. And, and I, I knocked the side view mirror off. <laughs> and so I'm like 17 years old. I'm like, you know, freaking out. And I, I go to my boss and I, and I tell him about it and, and he just goes, eh, shit happens. <laughs> you know, and I was expecting to get my rear end shoot out. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, and he just, he's like, he's like, you'll, you'll pay more attention the next time you're back and then won't you? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, you know, I've gotten shoot out by bosses. I don't remember half of them, but I remember that from yeah. 17 years ago. Yeah. Um, I remember that moment where he didn't rip my head off. He, you know, he's like, okay, mistakes happen. You learn from it. Right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, when, when you have a boss that does that, that has your back when there's a mistake made, your loyalty goes through the roof, right? You, you basically, uh, that, you know, I had a boss do that when I was early on in my career in, in um, engineering mm -hmm. and, um, man, I'll, I'll never forget that one boss. And he, you know, he backed me up when things went wrong. And in my case, I might've spent maybe uh, $15,000 and blew up a piece of test equipment, but he, you know, he understood I was trying to do something that had never been done before. He appreciated the, uh, that I that I made a mistake doing something very difficult, and he backed me up. Even to the, to, in my opinion, it probably hurt his career as well. But he backed me up, and I'll never forget that. And and you know, it's somebody that, um, you know, he's, his name is Bill Book. He's still a friend today. Mm. Uh, he backed me up, and uh, I'll never forget that. He just like my loyalty went through the roof. I'm like, I'm going to do anything for this guy. I'll run through a wall for this guy because yeah. he backed me up when I screwed up and I made a. I made an honest mistake and he backed me up. So I think, um, you know, when you do that as a leader, I think your people really appreciate that, you know, yeah. uh, that they, they, when you stick your neck out for them, I think that's, that's a, that's something that uh, gains a lot of loyalty, a lot of trust. Sure. You sure. Yep. And all in the same boat, use this term, um, earn your oxygen. What, what, <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, you know, <laughs> It's funny when you when you show up to the boat, you know, I, I went through so I had to go through four years of engineering school. I spent mm -hmm. a year studying nuclear power, then another three months at, in submarine school. So all total, you know, five and a half years of uh, studying to be a submarine officer. But when you get to the boat, you realize that you're over your head like it's, you know, theory and practice are two different things. And so one of the things that you recognize really early on is that you are nothing on that submarine unless you can provide mm. some value to the to the rest of the crew and what what they used to call us on the boat uh when we showed up and you you weren't qualified they'd call you a nub which meant you're a non-useful body that's the way they looked at <laughs> it you are stealing food and oxygen from the rest of us and you're adding mm. no value so so earning your oxygen meant meant you we worked hard we worked hard to get qualified to add and to contribute something to the boat where you were, um, you were an asset, not a liability. And so that was part of what we had to do on the boat is get qualified. So I, re I remember my first patrol, 
I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm not qualified to stand any watch stations. I'm, I'm a nub. And I asked some of my fellow officers, I said, what can I do? What can I do to add value? Something even small where I can qualify. And they said, well, there's this one job called a battery charging lineup officer. And you're, you know, as an ensign, as a junior officer, you certainly can qualify for it. And so that's what I did. I got qualified right away. And it was, it wasn't a glorious job. It was a grunt job, but it had to be done by an officer. And that meant crawling through the ship before we would charge the battery. You had to crawl through the ship and verify the alignment of all the uh, ventilation valves because you wanted to ventilate that compartment because when you charge a battery, hydrogen gas builds up and it can be deadly and cause an explosion. So this was a Mm -hmm. vitally important job. Had to be done by an officer, but a junior person could do it. And so that was the first job I qualified on. So my first patrol, Mm -hmm. I remember fondly uh, being woken up in the middle of the night crawling through the submarine with my trusty mag light, checking the status of all the valves uh, on the boat. And then you also had to climb down in the battery well, um, and you had to take certain readings on the battery compartment. And so I just remember fondly that patrol. I remember being down in the battery well. And if you're claustrophobic, don't go on a submarine. But this, (laughs) you're going going into a battery well, which is more claustrophobic than just being on a submarine. But I just remember fondly just being there you know, the role of the boat, uh, the smell of the acid of the battery, and me feeling like I'm doing something valuable right now. I'm helping the, 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 my, my, other, my fellow sailors who are sleeping tonight, I'm taking care of them. I'm doing, I'm qualified to do this job. And so I think when you, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in, in your role or where you are in your career. It doesn't matter if you're a leader or a contributor. What are you doing to add value? What are you doing to earning your oxygen in your company, right? Uh, what can you do to earn more of that oxygen, right? And and I've always taken that through my entire career. Is like, what can I do to add value? What can I do to um, make this company better? Make these mm-hmm. make the people around me better. So earn that oxygen. Don't don't be a nub. <laughs> so yeah. there's too many nubs in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's about you know building from the ground up. You know when yeah. and yeah. and and taking part of it, uh, realizing we're all in the in the same boat. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I want to talk about that angle a little bit. We've talked a lot about the top down leadership. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but I, like you say, not everybody is a leader. You know, there's a lot more Indians than there are chiefs. Yeah. So let's say somebody who's listening to this, they aren't a boss or they're not really in a leadership role. Um, but they say they work for a terrible boss. Mm. Um, besides giving them their books, your books, which <laughs> may come across good or not. Yes. Um, you know, what, what can they do to, to maybe help their boss or, or to help them become a better leader? What, what can they do in that situation if you have a bad boss? Yeah, you know, I've been in that situation many times. And um, I have one boss that was over his head um, in one role I was at. And I was his second in command. And he, he, he had no operations experience. And I had a lot of operations experience. He came from sales. And I recognized he was over his head. And it was kind of interesting. I purposely became his right-hand man. And I, mm. and I did it on purpose. I, you know, in the back of my mind, I said, I'm more qualified for this job than he is, right? He's, he's way in way over his head. But instead of being negative and being um, resentful and undermining his authority, I did just the opposite. I, I tucked up next to him and I became his right-hand man. And so I purposely, every meeting we went to, I sat on his right side and I purposely did that. And I wanted, and I never mentioned a word of it to him, but I became his uh, trusted 
you know, assistant, if you will. And I, it, as it turned out, I ended up running the show because I was telling them, okay, well, I said, you said this and that's great. We can do that, but here's what we can, here's another idea we could probably do. And so I became sort of a trusted advisor to him because I, he saw me not as a threat, but as someone trying to help him be successful. If you've got a boss that you're, you're struggling with, help them be extremely successful. It's, it's, it's a weird, it's counterintuitive, but they, when they right. see you not as a threat, but as someone trying to help them succeed, it, it does help. It does help that situation out. Um, you know, you know, you come at things from a Christian perspective, right? When you yeah. start praying for someone, things change too, right? As you start sure. thinking about that person as a person and not as this terrible boss, uh, your, your mindset changes as well. So some of that is just a mindset shift is like, look, I'm going to be the best, um, right-hand man I can be, you know, and that was my mindset. And, you know, eventually he moved on. Eventually I got that job and, um, and I never, and, and he's a friend today and, and I didn't undermine him. I, instead I supported him. Hmm. And I think sometimes we have to do those things and even though it, we don't want to do those things, we're like, because yeah. you have every right to be mad and you have every right to be, you know, um, slighted and all those things. But instead, what can you do to to be different? And that's one of the things I did and I encourage people to do. And, you know, I, I, if you have to have a conversation with a bad boss, you know, I've written some articles on this. I always say it's best to do it in private, you know, have sure. those conversations in private. And you know what? And, and you might find that, well, maybe it's not a good fit, you and that boss. Maybe there's a personality issue between you two. And, you know, uh, I have a friend that always says, uh, go where you're uh, celebrated, not where you're tolerated. So mm -hmm. if it's not working out with that boss, go somewhere else. Maybe you're, it's just not working out, but have that conversation in private. Yeah. And I think what you did in that scenario was doing what was best for the company first you kind of coming in there and and kind of maybe doing some of the things that he wasn't as good at and wasn't comfortable doing wasn't it yeah and eventually it was best for you yeah but the initial thing was okay i'm gonna this is what's best for the company but how do you do that without becoming coming across as like a brown noser you know how, how do you not end up looking like <laughs> dwight Schrute to michael scott <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i mean it look it doesn't matter. Someone's going to call you whatever they're going to call you. I think you got yeah. to do what's right. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, for most of my career, I was I, I was a young, uh, my first plan, I got my first manufacturing plan at 32 years old. Mm. And a lot of people resented that in, in my company. Sure. Because I was young and I had, you know, I was doing manufacturing plants, whereas a lot of guys had to wait till they're 50 before they got their first plant. And so they called me the golden child. That was my nickname mm. in the company. And, you know, look, I, you got to just, it, it is what it is, right? Did I, did I put the work in? Absolutely. You know, was I doing well in my businesses? Absolutely. Was I young? Yeah, I was young. And so people, people have this idea of you. And a lot of times what there, it's like an excuse, right? They're saying, well, uh, he, he, he's, the, this guy's a golden child. Every, he gets everything he wants. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, it, it's not as hard work. It, it's so it's like making excuses for themselves. Oh, he's a brown noser. Mm. Uh, that's how he's getting promoted. Right. You know, and it's, and it's, it's, it really is an excuse uh, for that other person not to do something different or not to sure. step up. So you can't control what people think about you. I try not to worry about that too, too much. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about, you know, leadership in the workplace, you know, leadership experience yeah. in the military, what can specifically men, um, you know, is as men are called 
I believe by God and, and called by nature, I think as well, to be leaders in their homes. What, what can men take from your books on military and work leadership and apply that to their families? Yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, we're, we're, we're expected to preside over our families, right? We're expected to provide and protect, right? The three P's of, of mm-hmm. you, know, um, you know, a father, a husband, a boss, if, if, you're, if you're a male. But um, no, I think the big thing is relationships. I think that's really important. If it comes right down to, you know, whether you're um, a parent dealing with children, uh, you're going to recognize that your children are uniquely different, right? Uh, I have two boys, and they're completely different, right? Absolutely mm-hmm. different, but they're they're but they're unique in their own ways, and I love them each uh, the same, right? But they have unique uh, they bring unique things to the to the table, right? Um, and I think it's the same thing with, with it's the same principle. You you've got to get to know. The people that you you got to know your family like you know the people that work for you. It's this idea of having these deep relationships, knowing how you, you know my my boys. Um, one of the things we try to do is is expose them to a lot of different things, and then let them sort of what what are they really getting interested in, and then sort of like you know help support that interest. How can we give them more? You know, so not you know, some parents are like forcing their kids to be that sports star or forcing them to, you know, mm-hmm. learn the violin because they didn't or right. they're, or they're live vicariously through them. Yeah. So they live vicariously. Instead, I think it's just encourage your, your children to seek out the things that they're interested in and where they show that passion. The same thing as, as leadership, where they're showing the passion, mm-hmm. help them grow that passion, help them get that deeper. And, and, um, and same thing with your spouse, right? You know, what, how can you, you know, what are the things that, that uh, she's passionate about, that she's interested in? How can you help her uh, become the best version her, of herself? How can you help your children become the best version of themselves? It's the same exact principles as what I bring to leadership in a company. It's helping people become the best versions of themselves. Yeah. And yeah, in the family, like what you say with your kids, you use that example before, finding them and plugging them in where they're best suited. Yeah. In some ways, your kids are your employees in that way, where you're kind of finding where they best are and it may not be where you think they should be. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, one other place where um, I see a lot of poor leadership just in the whole um, just cause I grew up in the church. Um, you know, I, I, I work for a church now part-time um, I'm a pastor's kid, you know? <laughs> I, 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 yeah. Yeah. For, for better <laughs> or worse. Um, you know, you see a lot of, church is a place where I think you see a lot of poor leadership. Yeah. Um, Why do, why do you might think that is, I mean, nobody's other than the pastors, nobody's getting paid. Um, Does it have something to do with that? Is it, you know, I I think you see a lot of times people may not have authority in their job, but they have authority at church. So they try to be domineering. What what are your thoughts on that? And that seems to be Uh, a place where there's a lot of bad leadership. Being a pastor is an impossible job. That's, That's true. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was talking to my pastor recently about that. And, uh, and the yeah. thing is, you're, you're, you're called to be, you have to be a good preacher, teacher, right? So you have to know the word, you have to be able to, you know, preach from the pulpit, you know, to keep people engaged, you have to be a good yeah. speaker, right? So that's one skill set, right? You have to care for your flock, right? So you have to mm-hmm. preside over people who are sick and, you know, and, and be praying for your, for your, you know, the people in your ministry and, uh, visiting and all this sort of thing. So you have to have this real empathetic side to you as well, right? 
And then you have to manage a group of unpaid volunteers to accomplish the mission of the church. So, you know, as I was talking to my pastor, it's like, without God, none of this is possible, right? Because there's, Mm -hmm. you have to be really good at three very unique different jobs, jobs, right? So it is absolutely impossible uh, to do all three really well. And Mm -hmm. um, it's rare to see. So you sometimes get a pastor who's really good at preaching, but you know, the leadership side is a mess or they're not doing enough, um, you know, you know, managing the flock, if you will. And so, or they're doing very good here, but they're not a great on the pulpit or they're doing good here. So it's really hard to do all those three things uh, really well. My, um, my pastor just happens to be a former army ranger. He was an officer in the army. And, and so what's interesting is, is that amazing preaching, teaching from the pulpit, amazing, you know, um, uh, leading, leading the organization, like really good structure and things are organized. People are plugged into, right. So really good leadership. Um, but probably on this end, he's, that's not his strength. It's not, you know, you know, hospital visitation. So he's found sure. people to, that are good at the, have that empathetic nature and can do some of those other things really, really well. So I think it's, it's part of it. We, we put too much on the pastors. I think, um, mm-hmm. we expect them to be super, super men and women, mostly men, supermen. Uh, and, uh, I think it's it's sometimes it's, it's it's rather impossible to do all those things. So I think it's a really tough job to do all those three things really well. Yeah. So again, it's kind of a thing of finding where people best best fit. Um, and I think that some of that falls on the leader themselves, understanding their own yes faults and and do what they do best. Yeah. Um, I, I think often a lot of times people feel like they. They know they're not good at all different things, but they try to be, and then they overextend themselves. And then that, that trickles down into, into other things too. Yeah. That's, there's a really important aspect you just brought up and this idea of vulnerability. It's really important in leaders and vulnerability doesn't mean weakness, right? Vulnerability Mm -hmm. means the ability to say, I don't know, or I'm not good at this. I need help. Please. um, You are empathetic. Can you help me in this area? You are really good at organizational skills. Can you help me in this area? So being vulnerable says that you don't have to have, you don't have to be great at everything, right? But the answers to all your problems reside within the four walls. Find who who can I reach out to that can help me in this area? So that's the idea of being vulnerable, being willing to ask for help, being willing to say, you know what? I'm really bad at this. I need to find someone who's really good at this. And, mm-hmm. and, and engage them and help them. So, and that's, um, that's, it's hard to do, especially as men, we, we want, we figure we can do anything, yeah. right. You know, right. Uh, all right, well, I'll just work harder and it'll, I'll overcome this. And okay. Most cases that can help, but a lot of cases, yeah. it's just, that's not your strength. And, and so why not find somebody in your, if you're in a ministry, find somebody who's, you know, in the church that, that is good at that and, and, yeah. and, you know, engage them in that activity. So I think that's really important. Um, the other thing is making sure you have a right, the right support structure in place. You know, I think, um, you know, a good, good church structure has a, has a group, good group of supporting elders and, and deacons, sure. supporting the, you know, the, the ministry in, in very specific roles is called out by the Bible. So I think, 
you know, it's always one of those things like when we follow the Bible, it kind of works out, you know, when we don't, mm. it doesn't, and it always seems to work out that way. So, yeah. And, and is it just, I mean, ego that prevents that? Is that kind of the main? Oh yeah. Yeah. Culprit, especially with, like you say, with men. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was talking to uh, a guest on my podcast, uh, Brian Krieger last week, and mm-hmm. he was saying that, you know, when we start off in a ministry, we think, oh, you know, it's all God, it's all God, God's going to do this, God's this. And, then, and then eventually, you know, things, things work out really well and the, and, and, the, and the church grows. And we start thinking, well, I, I did this. I, I, you know, I preached this message. I, I organized this. I pushed for this committee. I, 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 and then suddenly it's like, oh, this isn't the church about me or a church about God. It's a church about me. Right. And, sure. and so we build up our own egos and yeah, I mean, egos are something that we have as men that are powerful and really important, but they also can give us a blind spot to some of our weaknesses and we, we try to overcome our weaknesses. And so I think, um, yeah, being vulnerable enough to say, I don't really know how to do this. I really need some help. That's an important part of hmm. leading, whether it's in a church setting, whether it's at home, whether it's uh, in, in the workplace. Sure. One last thing I want to ask you about before we before we start wrapping up is, you know, we hear a lot in, in men's circles, whether it's Christian circles or, or kind of the, the manosphere, you know, kind of thing that, that we're a part of about finding your mission, finding your purpose. Yeah. So each individual man needs to have a mission for themselves. Um, why do you get up in the morning? What, what is God's purpose for your life? Um, and you talk too about about businesses, organizations and then, and then families as well finding their joint mission. So how do we as leaders, whether it's as a boss at work or or in your church or in your family, how do you not, you know, you have your own personal mission, but how do you find that joint mission of the group? Yeah, I think it's, it's what what is the unique value that this group brings to the world, right? What is special about this, this group that is maybe different than other, other groups, you know, um, uh, you know, in in uh, in my company, so I run a manufacturing company, and we say uh, we are a different kind of supplier, and that's our that's our mission. And what that means is is that when when the big guys, uh, you know, make make ordering complex, we make it simple. When they mm. uh, their lead times are long, ours are short. So we are a different kind. So we we provide an alternative to the status quo in our industry. So that's our mission. That's, that's what we do as a company, but I think that's our unique value proposition. So that's, that's what, you know, and I think each church has a unique value that they bring to a community, right? So there's churches that are great at outreach, for example, right? And so we're going to be the church that reaches the city for the lost. Obviously that's the mission of many churches, right? Sure. But some are good at it, right? Right. And embrace that difference, right? Others are, deepening their faith of, of, of followers, right? And so they're really good teaching uh, and deep into Bible study. So, you know, embrace that mission. So, so I guess what is unique about your family, your church, mm. your organization? What's, what's uniquely special about that? And how do, you, how do you organize around that mission statement? You know, and I think that's, that's for each person to decide, each group to decide what, what makes them special. And you got to really think through that a little bit. Because everybody wants to have the same mission statement, right? Yeah. We're going to sell you quality products at a good <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> everybody yeah. wants to do that. So what's what's unique and special about your your church, your business, you know, your family? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to give you the floor here. What what if you, you know, what what's your message to to leaders out there? 
Um, you know, if you have a, a, a room full of uh, bosses that you're talking to, what's kind of your, what's your takeaway for them to walk away from? What do they need to know? Well, you know, there's been 15,000 books written on leadership and we've tried to make leadership very complicated, but it's really, really simple. It's about motivating people to accomplish a goal. That's really what it is at the end of the day. People, it's motivation and a goal. It's three things, right? And so what it is not is not email zero. It is not mm -hmm. filling out a TPS report. It is not filling out a spreadsheet. That is not leadership. Being locked in your office 24-7, that's not leadership. It's motivating people to accomplish a goal. So I think it's we've got to remember it's about people. It's about how we motivate them and making sure that the goals are very clear. If we do that, we'll we'll be we'll be head and shoulders above other leaders. You know, and I just remind everybody that leadership as a, at the end of the day, leadership is a people business. It's all about people. Without people, your your business plans are zero. They're nothing. You're not going anywhere. So our people bring our businesses to life and we've got to treat them that way. Right. Well, John, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, you, you know, you've always, your books have been an inspiration to me in the, in the roles that I'm a leadership in um, at, at, at church and home and in other places. Um, where can people go to, to learn more about you? Where can they find your books and where can they reach out to you? Yeah, everything is at johnsrenny.com. You can find links to my social links. My books are for sale there. Uh, there's a link to my podcast called Deep Leadership that you can go there and I interview entrepreneurs, leaders, uh, military leaders, business leaders. And uh, so it's called Deep Leadership, but I have my books are for sale on the website. They're also on Amazon and just look up my name and you'll find them. Great. Well, thanks again, John, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Timothy. Appreciate it. This has been an episode of the Into the Wilderness podcast. This is Timothy Regal. Thank you for listening. For additional content, and to learn more about Into the Wilderness, visit www.intothewildernessblog.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and all other social media at Timothy Regal. T-I-M-O-T-H-Y-R-E-I-G-L-E. If you're like me and many other men, you have struggled with porn. I was addicted for over 15 years and thought I would never break free. But through accountability, hard work, and never giving up, I found freedom from porn and sex addiction. If you're fighting the same battle, know there is hope. You can defeat this, but you cannot do it alone. That's why I offer one-on-one -on -one coaching to walk beside you in your battle. I'll provide personal guidance, support, and encouragement, and most importantly, accountability to keep you on track and help you reach your goals. So if you're ready to finally quit porn for good, if you're ready to put in the hard work, and if you're ready to finally take control of your life back, click on the link in the show notes to go to www.intothewildernessblog.com or DM me on Twitter or other social media to get started in your path to freedom today.